It's about asking what you can do to help somebody else achieve their vision. Not just dropping into town and being like, gimme, gimme. Like, it doesn't work like that. Like, volunteer. Be a person who does stuff. That, that's how relationships are built. Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 214, we sit down with actress Jenna Fisher to dig deeper into her nine year journey. Going from just another unknown Hollywood hopeful to her role as Pam on NBC's The Office. And in part two of our chat today, Jenna shares with us the difference between procrastination and research. Very fine line there, and it's a pretty cool distinction. How her first real agent came from her pursuing her love of the work and not from a premeditated self-promotion campaign thing. And perhaps most importantly, how she made it through the early, confusing, lean years when nothing really seemed to be happening for her. It's all coming up in episode 214, so stick around. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from Rehearsal Pro, you know, Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for auditions, explore your character and make stronger choices, and a whole lot more, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP to learn about all the great features coming in the newest version of the groundbreaking app, Rehearsal. Rehearsal Pro is coming in early 2016. You can reserve your copy now at rehearsal.pro slash IAP. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How are you, Ajmijer? <laughs> oh, there it is again. My Have you started not. using that in auditions yet? I'm telling you, it's going to change your game, man. <clears throat> it's going to change the game. You know what I started doing? Uh, I've been so inspired by... Did I already talk about this on the podcast? I can't remember. I've been so inspired by the class that, that Ben and I are teaching. And one of the things that you know we've not talked a whole lot about, but talked a little bit about is branding. And on my, uh, on my Twitter account, my LinkedIn, et cetera, I've started putting in my, at the end of my little tiny bio, the most ethnically ambiguous actor you'll ever hire. <laughs> I think I'm going to change it to um, <clears throat> the most ethnically ambiguous leading man you'll ever hire, just to get even more specific. But mm. after dealing with it for years and years and years, I'm just wondering, like, how can I just embrace this and yeah. and just hit it head on? And, and maybe maybe if I do that, it will it will make a difference in the way that uh, I'm sort of seen or or experienced. I, I really like that. And let's take a minute just to talk about brand, because I think this is an important discussion. And the fact that you are really embracing this feedback that you've gotten that has shown up more or less as an obstacle for you in the past, you're now kind of leveraging to make a sort of joke and build instant relationship and and almost taking that ambiguity to position yourself more specifically, which I yeah. think is really smart and really cool. So can you give us a sort of, I don't know, bird's eye view of what you guys have been 
uh, discussing in, in class regarding branding? Well, yeah, like I said, it's not a subject that we've hit on a lot. We don't have a lot of time. It's amazing <clears throat> how much content we have versus how much time we have. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, um, yeah. there's there's so much stuff to talk about. And, you know, we, when we when we first uh, signed on to, to do the class, we thought we were going to have the students for two days a week uh, for two hours. So, in other words, four hours a week. And we, we actually only have them one day a week for two hours. So the whole class from start to finish within a 10-week quarter is only 20 hours. We have probably already created <clears throat> more than 40 hours of content. Of content, wow. You know, so wow. it's, it's, it's been, it's been uh, a challenge. So in terms of branding itself, like, eh. Uh, it was interesting because we also had um, Marcy Leroff, uh, IAP alum came in as a guest speaker and one of the things that she said was she's like anti the the branding thing like the Mark mm-hmm. Atterbury the Sam Christensen that whole idea she's she's actually against it why is that because because of the pigeonholing that it that it that it causes she said which is interesting because that's exactly what that's you the know, idea right that's the idea is to you know sort of teach people how they can cast you. So <clears throat> I think there's a marriage of the two. And, and that's kind of what we said to one of the students who asked the question is like, yes, you can use these as a, use, use these things as a way of, of, of supporting people and knowing um, how to hire you or, or what to hire you for rather, but not at the expense of who you are authentically. Mm, right. Not at the expense, which is, which is funny. Cause I, 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 made the connection between that and our acting. When we act, we're, we're putting ourselves into the situation, uh, the situations and experiences of another a character, right? But <clears throat> the most interesting actors bring their authentic self to that character. It's very similar to acting in, in terms of yeah. the marketing and branding of, of oneself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting conversation. Um, because when you're branding yourself, you're kind of actively training people how to view you and you're, you're kind of lifting the burden of mental labor off of their shoulders, the mental labor that's required for them to sort of categorize you in their lives, which are just, you know, as full of noise and distractions and craziness as all of our lives are. Um, so it's, it's an interesting thing to think that like, no, here's the sort of bucket you can put me in, but just know that I am much larger than that. And that's, that's sort of the unsaid thing around branding that it's like, well, yeah, I mean, here's kind of what I am most of the time. Like if you had to pick one, like the majority of me would be this, but, but you know, I also do a lot of other things. So it's like, here's the entrance to my world and and here's mm. how to think about me and then from there we can build a deeper relationship you know obviously everybody's different every path is going to be different but that's definitely uh worked for a lot of people yeah man this so. is a deep a deep rabbit hole because i'm thinking now back to a casting director workshop i took once where the casting director said she flat out hated 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 those themed character headshots that people take you know here's oh yeah here's well, me as a firefighter and, and yeah i don't think those are i don't think those are effective at all that's i think that's something different than than, than branding oneself 
I think there's a, there's a crossover because what she said she preferred was to have you basically look like you look when you more or less just kind of roll into the grocery store on a Saturday morning looking for eggs to make, you know, pancakes or something like just the most sort of natural version of you you could possibly be, which also isn't quite branding, but at the same time it is because they just want the authentic you. And yet we all understand that I don't look like that when I dress up and go to a wedding or I don't look like that when I you know, I'm at the gym, you know, there's a, there's a lot, uh, I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting thing. And perhaps I'm also not a firefighter, per, perhaps we're overthinking it here. Right. Right. But again, it's, it's about taking the sort of mental labor off of their shoulders and, and being like, well, here, here, let me make it easy for you. Here's what this would look like. So I, I agree with you. I don't think they're effective. I think they're a little bit hokey and yet there's a reason, uh, that they're a thing deeper conversation perhaps for another time but I, and I don't want to overanalyze it but I do think it's uh, it's a really interesting thing that really only shows up in this industry I wonder who is still using those kinds of headshots out there and if they're actually getting called in or, or yeah. booking things from like I don't know if one of our listeners has a shot that kind of looks like that I'd be curious to know if they're dressed like a doctor or a firefighter or policeman or something and they're actually getting you know, called in. For... Right. I, I, I can think of one guy uh, that still does that. His name is Frank Drank. That's his real name, Frank Drank. He's, a, he's an actor with my agency, and he's always cast as either the Viking in those Capital One commercials or like a motorcycle gang leader guy because he's a tall dude. He's very sort of, you know, thick. Uh, he's got a big beard. He's got, you know, piercings. And when you, when you see him on the street or you see him in these commercials, you're like, oh, it's, it's that guy. But actually he's a really like, like the, the physical appearance of him versus like the experience you have when you talk to him are two very, very different things. But he capitalizes on that look and he's got, uh, he doesn't always dress, you know, as the biker or the Viking, obviously, but he's got very specific headshots and he books all the time on those, uh, both TV and commercial. That might be a slightly unique situation, but, um, it it still exists. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's different. It'd be different if I were to dress up as a firefighter or a biker, because I don't really have that look most of the time. But I I think I think you make a great firefighter, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> not not going there, bro. <laughs> not going, not going there. there, bro. Not going there, bro. Well, and uh, fine. If you won't go there, then let's move on to uh, our listener questions with uh, a little word from our sponsor yes let's so (laughs) this episode of inside acting uh, is brought to you also in part by vo2gogo.com if you haven't heard of them uh who are you they are the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of backstage's reader's choice award for best vo training four years in a row you can visit vo2gogo.com slash start and get yourself a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's vo, the number two, gogo.com slash start. We have a voicemail from Sean uh, to respond to this week, and I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts, AJ, because I have a feeling that this is something that's a little more up your alley than it is mine. But Sean wrote to us a few weeks ago. He said he's auditioning for, you know, drama schools, colleges that have great theater programs. And he says he's been feeling very overwhelmed with the guidelines, uh, the audition requirements that 
these different schools uh, and colleges are asking for. And he says some colleges want two contemporary monologues that are about a minute and a half in length, and others want one classical and one contemporary, and some want two monologues for two minutes, not a minute and a half, and some want longer than that. And so he's wondering, dudes, like, should I just have like six or seven different monologues? Uh, And will colleges care if I don't have a lot of experience in my resume, if I just have these monologues? And does a headshot need to be like a professional headshot for a college? Or can it just be something that somebody snapped with an iPhone? Like, what are the auditors looking for specifically uh, with these two monologues that are contrasting? Like, he has questions about this whole process. Yeah. And this is something I actually don't have a lot of experience with. I've always hated the monologue audition thing and actively avoided it. (laughs) And uh, I went to a school where that just wasn't even necessary. So uh, I have like almost zero experience with this. (laughs) And I know that, you know, years ago, some of the prevalent advice in the industry from from acting teachers and casting directors was was always have a contrast contrasting pair of monologues in your back pocket to like bust out at any time. Always have them ready to go. One classical and one contemporary or one comedic and one dramatic. Uh, and I, I did that for a while and then I was never using the monologue. So I was like, why are these taking up space in my head? So I, I stopped for better or worse. Judge me, um, later, but I'm curious what, <laughs> what your thoughts are on this, on this HA. Cause there's a few things he's, he's asking here. Yeah. So, uh, for what, uh, you know, whatever, this is like such a great example of like academia not exactly being in line with what's, you know, actually happening out in the world. Um, because what you're saying is right, Trevor. And for you, Sean, um, it, 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 no one asks you for a monologue. Uh, the only time a monologue is ever necessary in a professional context is if you were going to an open call for a theater season. Um, so they have these things that are required by Actors' Equity, the stage union for actors that are called, you know, EPAs, Equity Principal Auditions, and they have these big open calls, and they're required to have these. I think it's like once a month or something like that. So, for instance, CTG, the Center Theater Group here in Los Angeles, they have these once a month, and you can go to pre- you know practice a monologue or to just get seen by the casting directors or something like that. But unless you're you're really 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 right for something in that season. And really, 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 really right for something in that season that's a smaller part. It's probably not worth your time because these are required auditions and they don't necessarily pull from them. They, <clears throat> they mostly pull from uh, names. They, they send out offers to, to name actors. Now, that's not always true. Obviously, there are exceptions and people have booked stuff off of the EPAs. But I'm just saying my point is that this is the only time you would ever use a monologue um, in my experience, and, and I know Trevor, you just said the same thing. Now, in terms of academia, why would they want a monologue if that's true out in the world? Well, I'll sort of answer your last question first because, Sean, you said, what are they looking for? They're looking for you. And what I mean by that is everything that we've ever talked about on the podcast in terms of A, being your authentic self, and B, and this is the big one because they will say this in every college out there because it also is how they grade their students. They are looking for something called professional promise, professional potential, PP, meaning that in you, they see someone who with the addition of the tools that you will learn at their university, with the addition of the training that you'll get at their university, your raw talent has professional promise and that you will eventually 
um, you know, make mom and dad proud. You'll mean, and by mom and dad, I mean the university. <laughs> You'll make the university <laughs> proud by going out and actually booking work and giving that that university a good name. Because and, and hopefully coming back and giving them a lot of money in twenty years. <clears throat> yeah, well, and and it's a business. It's a yeah, business. Yeah. This is part of the this is part of the business model, especially for the arts. Oh my God, they want of course you know the arts and the way that they they are underfunded in this country and the way that they need to like fundraise. This is a this is a great way to do it. Is like if you end up becoming you know Tim Robbins went to UCLA, so now of course UCLA touts you know that he went to UCLA all the time in in all kinds of documentation. Um, and the same goes for any you know big name celebrity or or actor who works all the time or actor who wins an award who happened to attend a university or a particular program. So unfortunately, you got to do it. That's all there is to it. And you know, you say, uh, should I have like six different monologues or something? Yes, you should, and you should be working on them constantly for a number of different reasons. Not only are you going to be prepared for those auditions, but also you're going to get better. You're going to be a better actor. You can work with whoever you're working. Like, I hope you have somebody at your high school or someone you can trust or someone you trust, a director or somebody you can work with on these monologues. And as you work them and, and read through them and read the plays that they come from and study them and learn how to scan the lines of your Shakespeare monologue or learn how to, you know, use the language of some classical monologue if it wasn't written by Shakespeare and learn how to then apply those techniques to contemporary monologues and learn how to tell a story and have a, a, a character go on a journey and learn how to go somewhere and not start from the end of the monologue emotionally, uh, but have an arc and all of these things, you're just going to become a better actor. So yes, you, you should have six, <laughs> you, you know, because it, it's going to make you a better, a better actor. And if you only end up using two, then Oh darn! You're a better actor. <laughs> mm, mm. You know that's the worst case scenario. So AJ, in your experience, how strict are they with they being the colleges and universities and programs? How strict are they with time on these monologues? Because he says some want monologues that are a minute and a half, some want two minutes, some want longer. If you can, you take your minute and a half monologue and perform it for one of the two minute required schools. Like, is there is there a gray so. area there? I would say so. If you're, if it's a 90 second monologue and they ask for a two minute monologue, I would say do, you know, just do the 90 second one. Um, their concern is about getting through the number of people that have auditioning right. for their school. So right. if anything, I, they'll I be like, it. cool. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Exactly. Great. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And then, um, as far as, uh, taking a, a, a shot on your iPhone, I did it. It wasn't on my iPhone, but I had somebody take a picture of me in their backyard and that's what I used for schools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and of course they don't care if you have a lot of experience on your resume because you're about to be a student, so you shouldn't, <laughs> or not that you shouldn't. You could, of course, you could, but it's not a requirement. Awesome, Sean. I hope that helps. The idea of them looking for professional promise above everything else should be, to me at least, it sounds like that should be the guiding principle with all your choices when it comes to what schools you're looking at, what monologues to prepare, how to approach the whole process. Professional prom. That's a, I, I did not know about that, AJ. Thank you. I just learned something. <laughs> it's uh, It's been weird um, going back into academia as a, as a, as a teacher and sort of getting, getting that, you're getting to see things from that side. It's been, it's been interesting. 
<clears throat> awesome. Well, Sean, hope that helps. Uh, thank you, AJ, for that kick-ass response, dude. That was epic. And Sean, please keep us posted on how it goes, how it unfolds. I think this is uh, this is your prime time for preparing monologues and going out and, and doing your work for these schools and these these uh, calls and things. So so keep us posted on how it goes. All right. Without further ado, part do. See what I did there? I do. I do. Part yeah. do of, yeah. of our chat with with Jenna Fisher and and if I could sum up this this next segment what you guys are about to hear the 23 minutes and 46 seconds that you're about to hear it would be just wisdom wisdom um there is a lot in here that will if you can really internalize it and apply it to your journey I I think it will make your journey and I'm speaking to sort of everybody here myself included it will make your journey so much easier it'll really smooth out those bumps in the road so listen close ready your notes and we'll see you on the other side. show is that this industry is a relationship it's a business a relationship business and that it really is who you know and so i love that you said the first thing to do is to just get plugged in to a network of people that are doing things because it's people hire their friends and just being around that like you know they say that you you are the average income uh success level relationship whatever of the five people you spend the most time with I find that's really, really true. And so I think it's important to jump into uh, that as quickly as possible. And I think it is who you know, but it's not by going to parties. Right. It's not Mm -hmm. by meeting people at parties. Right. It's by being creative with creative people, by supporting other people's creative endeavors. That is where relationships are built. It's about asking what you can do to help somebody else achieve their vision, not just dropping into town and being like, gimme, gimme, what can you give me? Introduce me to an agent. Call, call your casting director friend for me. Like it doesn't work like that. Like volunteer, be a person who does stuff. Yeah. That, that's how relationships are built. So three years in, you're, you you finally, finally, quote unquote, become a joiner. What what did you join? Like, what, yes. where did you start? What kind of things yes. did you... Did After you... three years of watching silent films and every John Cassavetes <laughs> movie and every Academy Award winning film from 1970 to 1990, that was some research that I did. Um, I, uh, I finally... <laughs> was that you? Yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah, 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 just like tons of research. Um, what is it with you, East Coasters? We wanted to be well-read. Yeah, you know? yeah. You wanna, you know? listen, I think that's valuable. I actually time. think, yeah. like, I think that's a good thing to do. And, and that's another reason why I think people should study acting, why you should go to an acting conservatory or classes or whatever. Like, when I'm working professionally in this business, people... If you make a like a Chekhov reference, they know it. Like these people who work in this business, they they've studied their craft. They know their business. Like you want to be able to like keep up. 
You know, I can't tell you how many conversations have happened on set about John Cassavetti's movies. And I'm in the conversation because I know what that means. And if you really, truly are passionate about film and filmmaking, you should watch a bunch of old movies. You should know about the performances and the films and the directors that have shifted the course of filmmaking over the generations. Like, um, because then when the director and the writer are standing there on set talking about uh, the black and white silent film Sunrise, you've got something to say about that, and now you're on their radar without having to be, without having it be like about look at me, or do you know what I'm saying? Like, I've, I've noticed that. I've noticed that like a lot of the people who are working in this business, they... They're smart. They know about movies and film and plays. Yeah. They've read plays. Yeah. And um, so I think aspiring actors should too. Yeah. I think that comes back to like the whole like life experience thing. You know, you've got the more contexts you have in which to contribute your voice to a conversation, the more effective you'll be not only as an artist on drawing from that well of experience and yeah. And stuff, but also the more easily you can jump into conversations with different types of people with different interests and things, and mm-hmm. that's that's eighty percent of of the work is yeah. you know how do I communicate with this person in such a way that we create value together? Well, you had asked some of the things I joined, so I joined a theater company, I took an improv class, but the best thing I joined was. Um, and this is a little bit, I just said, you don't meet people at parties. But I was at a party of an actor friend, and I met a director, a theater director, a local theater director. And he was telling me about this Commedia dell'arte class that um, he had with some other actors. And he was like, you should come. It would be so much fun. And your friend Pete's in it. Pete, come over here. Tell Jenna about this class. And they're sort of telling me about it. And and I was like, well, I don't have anything to do on Wednesdays. Like, why not? You know, it was like 20 bucks or something. They're like, we only, everyone just kicks in for the space. We're doing it because we love it. And I went in and they were doing this Commedia style of acting. Um, and through the class, it was so much fun. And I met a really fun group of artists and actors. And through the class, we developed a musical adaptation of the old film Nosferatu which we then performed in a theater in downtown Los Angeles, like off Skid Row, um, in full kabuki makeup. And uh, that led me to getting my first great agent. That. Saying yes to a Commedia show. Like, there was nothing about that that I was doing to showcase myself. It was purely for my love of acting. And I have found that most of my successes have come through like ex- doing something that expresses my love of acting rather than like a calculated showcase opportunity. Um, people just feel it. They can feel like the calculated uh, self-promotional thing. Mm-hmm. But if you sweep someone up in genuine enthusiasm... I think there's more success to be had. Yeah. So we were doing this show in downtown LA and I'm saying like, we barely expected like the, the people, it was the zoo district theater, which is still around. And they had this very loyal group of patrons who came out because they did this like really like edgy theater stuff. 
And um, I was playing Nina, which is like the young lover. And this style of theater was that you never look at the person you're speaking to. You look at the audience when you say your line. And you guys, like, it's it's very hard to explain on a podcast. But anyway, (laughs) um, we're in full kabuki makeup, very stylized acting, and a musical. That's all you need to know. (laughs) And next to Skid Row, like, literally driving through Skid Row. And it's, like, one of the scariest places. So... I didn't even bother sending out flyers on this one, okay? Because, like, what agent or casting director is coming through Skid Row to see me in a play in a warehouse? So this guy, Tony Martinez, got dragged there on a date. And he left a card at the box office for me that said I loved your performance. Now, my hair was dyed black in braids, and I'm wearing, like, white face kabuki makeup. So, like... I don't know what it was about my performance, but he was like, I'd love for you to come in and meet with me. And he was at an agency called Epstein Wyckoff at the time, which is a great agency. And um, I had an agent at the time, but um, it was an agent who was representing me to play 18 years old and younger, because mm. I looked really young. And um, and I just wasn't... I, I think she, she was like... She liked that she could send me out to like audition for 90210 because I could do a role and I didn't need a like a tutor or a chaperone you know um but I was starting to age out of this like I'd get to these auditions and I was clearly like more college than high school looking at the time and so I was really like in a slump and this guy left his card and I called and he asked me to come in and meet his agency and I met him and he said, I don't know what it was, but I just loved your comic timing. And he's like, boy, you sure look different without all that makeup on. I didn't know what you were going to look like. And then we had a meeting. And he said, well, I, I would really like to take you on. But first, I have to introduce you to the other reps here at the agency. And he introduced. So then I came back for a second meeting with all of the partners of the agency and um, Craig Wyckoff himself. And they said, yeah, let's take her on. This is great. And um, he became my first great agent. And that came out of just me saying, yes, I'll take your weird Commedia dell'art class on Wednesdays. Hmm. John Kellum. Thanks, John Kellum. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm curious, because like, there are probably a lot of actors listening to this who do the same thing, who take, you know, they follow the passion, they t- do some, you know, Weird 99 seat thing, or not even 99 seat thing, oftentimes in mm-hmm. you know, under a Petco somewhere in Hollywood. Yep. Um, and that kind of thing doesn't happen, yeah. Or they've done 12 of these and yeah. they had a couple close calls, but it hasn't panned out for whatever reason. What would you say to somebody who's in that situation? Well, I would say a few things. I would say, you know, I, I was in a situation where there were very long droughts between any sort of thing that made me feel like I should keep going. But there were but there were enough signs that I should keep it up that I was able to endure the droughts. So I think another aspect to pursuing this life is are you getting enough feedback that you should be doing this? Like is the community interested in you enough? Or have you noticed that you're getting called to do a bunch of other stuff? Like every time you help on a short film, are they asking you to rewrite stuff? Like, are you like the go-to person for like punch-ups on films that you're volunteering for? Maybe like you should pursue that. 
You know, like, I think also, like, listen to what the universe is asking you to do. My husband graduated from DePaul University, the acting program, not an easy program to graduate from. He moved out here to be an actor. He just couldn't get going. Tons of commercials, made a living from commercials, couldn't get, like, roles as an actor. But he and his friends wanted to make shorts together, and he kept writing them. And then the shorts would do well. And he just, the, the information he was receiving was, we are very interested in you as a writer. And he resisted it for a while. He's like, but I'm an actor. I'm an actor. What I am is an actor. And he held on to this idea that he was an actor. He now makes his living as a writer-director because he finally let go and started listening to like what wanted to pursue him, not just what he wanted to pursue. And all of his experience as an actor has made him an incredibly effective director. And I think he still misses acting. I think he still loves performing. But uh, his voice and his art is in... And he's an amazing writer. Like, there's no... no. I mean, that's how we met, was that I read one of his scripts. And I was like, this is incredible. I have to meet this person. And I took a meeting with him based on his writing. So, like, his writing got him a wife and two kids like he's a great writer don't ignore what the universe is telling you you're good at so I think that's what I would say to that person is like okay you've done seven of these do a check in you know are you getting feedback that this Mm. is like the right path for you but I also would say don't give up I didn't land on the office until I had been here nine years and I fully expected to be a working actress within a year or two. And I didn't make my living as an actor until uh, six years. I was able to quit my day job after six years and like eke together enough money through guest spots or pilot roles, barely. And other little, maybe little odd jobs like a catering gig on the weekends or something. It doesn't happen fast all the time. Um, I'm really curious to hear about those years, those six years before you were able to transition fully into acting. I mean, that's where most of us are. You know, we're sort of doing the grind, and I think it's easy to get lost and distracted and, you know, reprioritize things sometimes on an hourly basis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So, what was that like for you navigating that, and what did you find worked for you, and what did it take from you to stay in the game? One of the ways that I endured that time was creating a lot of busy work for myself, like a lot of things that made me feel like I was attending to my acting career, and um, I needed that. So, for example, a weird thing I did was I started a card file, and every time I went on an audition or met with a casting director, I would write down notes about what I wore and what we talked about, and I kept it in a card file. And I would review my card file and hope that I would get a call back. And if I ever saw a casting director a second time, I'd put a check mark. Like, I needed to see my progress. I needed to look at my little card file. It made me feel good. Like, that's just, like, one way that I didn't cry myself to sleep sometimes was, like, this card file. Um, I love that, by the way. That is amazing. <laughs> it's like keeping score and oh, yeah. Yeah. just physically see it on it. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. And... and it never provided me with any practical use except for emotionally. It was like a little safety blanket for me. I did things like watch every movie 
from 1970s, you know, like I, I created assignments for myself to feel smarter about the business. But most of the time it was just hard. I worked as a secretary. I worked as a temp. Um, I didn't work in the industry as a temp. So I never worked at a casting office or an agent's office because I didn't want anyone to ever know me as anything but an actor. I didn't. So I worked in downtown Los Angeles for medical offices and lawyers and finance people. And um, I just kept those two worlds really separate. And what was great about that was that a temp job was like a week long. So I could always like have a job and it would end and then I could assess how much money I had and if I needed more money and then sign up for another temp job. But at a certain point in those years, the temping, my, my nest egg was gone. I had to take a full-time job. I needed health insurance. And so I ended up taking a full-time job at this place called Putnam Investments. And, um, and it was great. And this guy, Chris Alders, is just like one of the angels in my life. He um, was the only salesman in the Los Angeles office at a company that was based in Boston. And we rented space from a larger company and it was just me and him, two desks. And he knew I wanted to be an actor. I told him the truth. And, um, if I had an audition, he would answer his own phone and he would lie to the head office and say I was in the bathroom. Wow. And in return, Chris was a huge, uh, Catholic charity supporter and he did a lot of charity work. And so I would for free, write his letters, uh, write grant proposals for him. So like that was our give and take. And then if he went to like a charity meeting or something, I would lie to the head office and say he was on a sales call or something. Like wow. we just had each other's back, you know, and wow. he had a much better reason which was to be out of the office. I was just pursuing my selfish acting, you know, career and he was out changing people's lives, but it was great. And I worked for him for years and uh, for like three years and Mm. that was like what really got me through it's those people that you meet it is those relationships and I think that so often actors and new actors in town I mean you're just viewed as like another person contributing to the city's traffic problem (laughs) you know you're just like a big eye roll to people Mm. you're like oh great another one Mm -hmm. and um the reason that I like to talk to new actors and the reason that I like talking to you guys is because I think that artists need more cheerleaders and um those cheerleaders can come in a lot of forms and Chris Alders was one of my cheerleaders and I think that those years if you can find just a few of those people Mm -hmm. it makes all the difference and, and it may not be like in the form of a casting director or an agent or something. <laughs> well, I, I, I do want to just kind of um, yeah. point something out about that. Like you, you said earlier that, and this is a longstanding philosophy of the podcast too, is that you know the, the secret to building bulletproof relationships is just constantly coming from that place of service. What can I do for you? Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like that was integral, especially in this situation with Chris, because you basically said like, what what do you need from me? What can I what can I do for you mm-hmm. to make this a win win? Yeah, and then it came right back to you, and I that reminded me of when I was at Apple. I had the same thing. I get a call at ten a.m. for an audition in Burbank at one thirty, and I'm in Santa Monica, and I'd go to my manager and say, "Can I take a two hour lunch break to go do this thing? I'll stay late tonight. I'll do whatever you need me to do." And they'd be like, "Okay, cool, stay late tonight." 
And like that was our working arrangement for like three, four years. Yeah. To have yeah. that person is like, that person doesn't even know what they are to the aspiring actor. They don't yeah. even know how valuable they are. Those things make a huge difference, right? A huge yeah. difference. And I think it, when, you sh- when you genuinely come from that place, not because you read it in a book or heard it on a podcast, but yeah. you genuinely want to be of service to people, that's when things start to click. And people pick up on that. They do. And they want to, it's human nature to want to reciprocate. Yes. And so I think that's, that's huge. I just wanted to point that out because I think that's a huge part of, of almost every successful person's story. Yeah. Yeah, I love the idea of the the cheerleader too. Like you said, like we've talked on the podcast before about um, building a, a, a group of mentors. Mm-hmm. Like in the, how important that is to surround yourself with people who are um, uh, that you look up to in whatever respect. It doesn't necessarily have to be in um, the entertainment industry or your, or career wise, but just people that you look up to and building that that network. I think Julia Cameron talks about this in. Um, the artist way even you know like talking about the people who are like the crazy makers and the people who actually bring you down and then and then finding those people who are actually the ones that build you up yeah i think that's really important for any actor at any level you know we just had a um really successful publicist on the podcast recently and he was talking about how you need to surround yourself with the friends and family who will tell you to knock it off if you are, you know, getting too big for your britches, essentially, like to be able to go home to your hometown and have <laughs> have your parents look at you and be like, "Who the fuck do you think you are?" You know, and and, and how uh, you know grounding that could be. It's 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 similar. That's cheerleading in another way, right? You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't sound like cheerleading, but it kind yeah. of is. It's like be yourself, cheerleading. <laughs> well, totally. I'm glad you mentioned the artist way because one of the other things that got me through those years was the artist way, and I think that every aspiring actor should do this book a hundred percent um did you have you done it yeah did you finish it no have you done it i got to week eight i love it no one ever finished it i don't know anyone who's gotten to week 12 what is at the end of that book yeah nobody knows. Nobody knows. i finished it you did? all right mm-hmm. wow. not the first time not, not the first, first time. time okay the first time i think i got to like week eight yeah. and or even week 10 because the second time i did it in my mind, I'd only made it to week four or five, but I kept the second time I did it, I was doing it and I was like, wait, I remember this. I still remember this. I can't believe I stopped like two weeks shy of finishing that book or three weeks shy. So here's the secret to finishing the artist's way. If you want to know, and you should do it. There's a $100 bill slipped in that glass page. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's tough. Nobody knows about it. <laughs> The secret to finishing the artist's way is that you don't have to do it perfectly. Mm. That was my secret of how I finished the artist's way. And by the way, that's the secret to finishing any artistic pursuit, that you don't have to do it perfectly. In fact, the first film you make or the first script you write or the first job you do, just do it horribly. (laughs) Just do a shitty job. Be the worst actor in it. Have it be the worst script ever written. Just finish it. That's it. Because the power in finishing things is, it, it, it's just, uh, I, I don't even know what to say. It's just, it, it unlocks everything. Being a finisher mm. uh, was a huge, uh, that was a huge part of those years that when that happened for me, things really changed. I had a lot of great ideas. I started a lot of one woman shows. I started a lot of things and you know projects I have a play I start you know 
I had all these things that I never finished. I could never finish anything, including the artist's way the first time I tried. <laughs> and I decided uh, I'm going to be a person who finishes something. And I decided to make it the artist's way. So uh, I did it. And what I realized through doing that was that the thing that stops me is that I like to do everything right or perfect. And um, that just doesn't exist in the world of art. Right and perfect are not a part of it. Um, My husband and I have talked about this. He's a filmmaker, and he'll set out to make a film. We'll both agree it's the best script he's written so far, and then the movie will get made, and it'll get edited. And through the process of making the film, through the process of directing it and editing it, when the movie is done, he is a better filmmaker than the movie he just made which is then frustrating Mm -hmm. because if only I could take everything I just learned from making this movie and make this movie better, but you can't everything. It's a moving target. Everything is never going to be as good as you are when you finish it. And that is like a hard thing for artists to deal with. Like I could have like how, what perform, how many performances have you seen back of yourself? And then as soon as you watch them back, you realize how you could have done it better, but it exists now. Like you can't do that. So when you can wrap your head around that idea, maybe it'll give you the freedom to write that bad script or give that bad performance or not be so great in that play and, and not be afraid to like finish things and, and just complete that story and then apply what you've learned to the next thing. Hey folks, welcome back to the bookends. Uh, it just keeps getting better. I'm telling you, uh, this was one of our absolute favorites. I mean, I, everything about it—from you know who she is in person to the wisdom that she is uh, bringing to to you guys and and brought to us through the interview. Man, oh, it's so good. So, what is your uh, pick of the week? So <clears throat> my pick of the week is completely, I will 100% admit, is completely stolen from the ghost host with the most, Ben Whitehair. He showed me this, uh, and it blew my mind. I haven't even used it yet, and it was so, like, it just melted my brain that I was like, I have to talk about this on a podcast. I guess the best technical term for it would be that it is a plugin for Chrome, Google Chrome. Um, but I, I don't know if it requires Google Chrome in order to use, but you can find out at crystalnose.com. That's K-N-O-W-S. We have a link to that on our website. Now, the website crystalnose.com is actually kind of creepy when you realize what this thing does. So Crystal is basically a combination of social media and personality matrices. So if you've ever, we've talked about this on the podcast like eh, a couple of times. It's not like a huge topic of conversation, but if you've ever uh, worked at a corporation or done some kind of like uh, introspection work uh, or like the, you know, leadership and self-development courses that Trevor have taken, you've probably taken some version of a personality test and it sort of like identifies who you are and how you operate in different contexts, for instance, business or interpersonal savvy or what have you. So Crystal is this crazy thing that looks at your social media and it builds a personality based on your social media presence. And so he clicked on this button that Crystal sort of like when you're using 
uh, Chrome, it puts this button on your like Facebook profile page. And he clicked on this button on my Facebook profile page. And it broke down my personality into all these bullet points that were super ridiculously accurate. And what it does is it allows you to know what the best way of communicating with that person is. And that's that's free, but if you pay for like the sort of upgraded versions of Crystal, you can actually have it sort of plug into your Gmail account so that when you're typing an email, it will flag certain words and phrases that won't be effective in your communication to the person that you're emailing. <laughs> oh, my God. It is one of the craziest things I've ever seen before. And you can try it for free. Uh, like I said, the, the sort of base account is free. And then there's paid accounts that have sort of additional features. But if you're an entrepreneur, if you listen to this podcast, my guess is you have some entrepreneurial spirit. So if you're an entrepreneur or you're an actor or you're some kind of creative and you just want to know the best way to communicate with like somebody you just like a like a contact that you just made and let like let's say that person isn't an actor, let's say they're like the head of a studio or or something, like some executive. And you want to know, okay, like I can't necessarily communicate with this person the same exact way that I would communicate with my friends. I still want to, here, we, here it comes again, maintain my authentic, authenticity. But I also want to sort of like tailor my language to how this person best listens. You can do that with this crazy ass piece of software. <laughs> the machines are taking over. Dude, it's 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 basically yeah. The machines have have reduced our personalities to matrices that they can calculate based on our online media profiles, and then coach other human beings on how to most effectively communicate with us. This is ridiculous. It's like Skynet, bro. I can't even. I I can't. I can't even, man. This this is amazing. Now, my question for you, AJ, is 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 there any part of you that is thinking to yourself, this may remove or create a significant obstacle in the spontaneity and groundedness of, uh, of, a, of a relationship, uh, of forming a new relationship, of, of discovery, of, of anything along those, those lines? The, the idea here isn't necessarily to completely, you know, <clears throat> turn yourself inside out and become a different person just to, you know, just to make another person like you. Yeah, this seems uh, like it could be take, taken to the extreme. This is like people pleasing on steroids. Right. And that's not how you know, I'm thinking of that, right. that, that I would use it or someone should use it. It's more about just like effective communication. So for instance, like if you're a business person and you're making business contacts and business relationships, those are frankly different. And it's not, this is not good or bad or right or wrong. Those are frankly different relationships than friendships or romantic relationships. They're just different. You might grow that relationship to be a friendship later on, but it's not a friendship. It's a business relationship. And so to know how to effectively communicate with someone really quickly and easily and, and without having spent a lot of time with that person could really support in a business context. Hmm. <clears throat> and then later on, if you, you know, if you become friends, you, you'd be like, Hey, look, this is this thing called crystal. And this is how I, uh, <laughs> this, this how is I, how I manipulated you. This is how I manipulated you into giving me a million, a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, so, right. You're right. welcome. Just so you know, this was my idea all along. All along. Mwahaha. Thanks Skynet. 
Yes. <laughs> this so, is amazing. What a, what a valuable tool, I think, uh, for people who are making contacts in the entertainment industry and want to really nurture those, those relationships, um, especially at the, at the, uh, at the start. Uh, also, this goes to illustrate that nothing is sacred on the internet. If you have published something on the internet, there is some program out there scanning, <laughs> scanning, 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 and plugging you into an algorithm and dissecting you. And uh, I mean, it, it, it just goes to show that I guess we get to also be very intentional about what we are sharing. Because the last thing you'd want is for, you know, those drunk tweets and, you know, photos of you having a party, uh, you know, from the other night to show up on this thing and have Crystal tell somebody that you're a party animal or that you enjoy liquor. Uh, you know, I mean, just things that could pollute your profile, I guess. Mm, interesting. So, yeah. so something to keep in mind, I think. And it's, it's a crazy world we're living in. Crazy. It's a crazy world we're living in. Well, quick, let's get out of here. What's your pick of the week? All right. You want to hear crazy? Check this out. Documentary oh, no. called Pump. P-U-M-P. Pump as in like gas pump. Okay. Uh, it's on Netflix. It has a budget of two million dollars. Was made for a budget of two million dollars. It grossed seventy three thousand. So nobody saw this freaking movie. Like nobody saw this movie. Uh, it's narrated by Jason Bateman. And what I learned during this movie is that there is a monopoly on energy and oil, which isn't really news. But what's really interesting, and you know, I, I can't prove this. I just heard it in this documentary. But the documentary purports that every single car, every single motor engine on the road right now can run on methanol and ethanol and biodiesel fuels. 100%. The only thing that is stopping them from running on these alternative fuels that burn very cleanly, all that, is a software update. What? Literally, in this movie, there was a guy who worked on cars, putting them together on the line. You know, and he, he in the movie, he did his you know confession, and he was like, "I worked on these cars." He's like, "We built biodiesel cars and we built gasoline cars." He's like, "Not one bolt, not one screw, not one piece was different in either of these cars from start to finish." He's like, "So I asked, you know, some of the guys I was working with, like, well, what's different? How come we get to put a biodiesel sticker on this one and a gasoline sticker on this one?" And the guy said, "It's the computer." It's the software. The software tells the car what gasoline it can and can't run on. And there's a dude in the movie who also claims to have hacked the software. And, you know, it's obviously very illegal for this, for obvious political and, you know, high-powered money people reasons. But uh, really interesting movie, man. Very eye-opening. Check it out. Pump, pumpthemovie.com. And you can also just find it on Netflix. It's a documentary. Dude. Right? Uh uh, right. kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, fine. Before we uh, skedaddle out of here, quick listener pick of the week from, from Sharina. Uh, she, thank you, Sharina, for um, offering the pronunciation of your name, which we've butchered in the past. No, no, we haven't. And, uh, that never yeah. happened. And if you have a, a, a sort of unique name and you're thinking of contacting the podcast, we would love... A little, yeah. bit of, a little bit of coaching on how to pronounce your name as well, because we are not good at that, I think. Anyways, Sharina was saying she was listening to uh, part three of Steve Rourke's interview, and she was so interested in how he spoke about the ever-elusive star quality uh, that she looked up Dixie Carter, who uh, obviously popped onto her radar after that interview, did a Google search to find out more about her, and found this really great 26-minute interview on YouTube with her 
Uh, and she has a link which we have now posted in the show notes on the website and it is a really wonderful interview I think the character of this woman and Sharina used words like generosity charm warmth gratitude all these things that Steve outlined as necessary necessary for success at a high performing level they show up in spades in this interview just by who this woman is so really great research if you want to see in action what a really superior human being looks acts and sounds like uh, it mm. comes through very clearly in this interview so check it out it's 26 minutes but it's worth the time investment and the link to that is on our website in the show notes for this episode beautiful so today's episode of inside acting was produced and co-hosted by me trevor algott and you sir ajmiger Oh, stop it. Jen, stop Jen it. Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubarek is our marketing and web director. Jasmine Bristow is our director of public relations. And Deborah Smith, or should I say Deborah Foster. Congratulations, Deborah, on getting oh, married. right. Yes. So awesome. Gorgeous photos on Facebook. So happy yes. for you guys. You're both amazing human beings. Uh, anyway, that woman, Deborah Smith Foster, Foster Smith. Deborah is our community manager. Trevor Algott edited and mixed today's episode and also composed our theme and interview music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes at our website, insideacting.net. And you can also find us on iTunes and your reviews there are hugely appreciated. Huge thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2GoGo.com. And huge thanks to you, our listeners. If you love Inside Acting and you want to maximize its value in your life and career, go ahead and sign up as a monthly member and get cool perks like access to our membership message board, cool freebies, invites to exclusive member meetups, discounts on merchandise, and more. Just visit InsideActing.net, click on the membership tab to get started and that is it for episode 214 of inside acting thank you so much for listening we'll see you next week and in the meantime be a finisher be a finisher